The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crime Podcast. I'm Taylor. I'm Morgan. Happy Thursday and happy episode 160, bitches. Jesus. Can you even believe it? No, we've been around this long? 160 weeks? And look at us, 160 weeks, and we still can manage a little cocktail yeah. in our hands. Look at us. Look at us. You look know, at us. but back I think if we ever were to talk to episode six, episode six, they'd be like, you pussies. Yeah. They'd be like, we'll fucking drink you under the table. You bitch. And I'd be like, absolutely. You would. And I'm like, no, I'm going to let you do it too. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I don't I can't. even want to race. There's I'm no, going to be depressed for two I have, weeks. I have no leg in that competition because no. I am out already. No, we got two episodes in a row in season four. We have to literally poos. starting in January. We have to have like a drinking episode because. Yeah. We have to mentally prepare. If I go like this to my wedding, I'm going to be black out throwing up on my dance floor. I'm not, I'm not even worried With about the tolerance that. I have. It's not even that that I'm worried about because I think by the time the wedding happens, we'll be fine. It's the showers. It's the bachelorette. It's everything else. Oh, I've got to train myself. I've, yeah. I, we're going to be taking tequila shots and we're going to be picking fights with each other <laughs> but just to make sure that we're trained well enough to, to not duke it out. Down there. And by duke it out with each other, I mean me duking it out and you laughing. But we did really great in Cabo. And we were tequila all All the way around, bitch. All the way around. Yeah, I just died one time. Yeah, we've only gotten to one fight on tequila. Yeah, just that one time. It was a one fight that escalated into two fights, but the same night. Yeah, the same night. Same night. And it wasn't even a fight. No, it wasn't. (laughs) It was more just like me being drunk. Like, just being a drunk bitch. God. Oh, shit. And there was something I wanted to talk about. Oh, if you haven't sent in your creepy account, you have to do it right now. Your spooky stories immediately tonight. stop right the fuck tonight. Right tonight. Tonight. You have to do it because we're by the time this episode goes out, you have literally a day. Yeah. Literally a single day. Literally, actually. If that. Yeah. It might actually be an hour. Yeah. You have until 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to get that shit. To really, me. though? Because if it's not that if it's not the day that this comes out, it's the following Tuesday. And those stories are going to be picked by Friday because yes. I'm going to be gone that you're going to meet me and you are going to be gone that weekend. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Send in your freaking creepy accounts. Like, we're talking, again, this isn't isn't your regular, I saw a shadow. Yeah, no. I was waking up. I had dreams. I want we terrifying. We want, what did you say last week? I don't remember. Cheating, pissing, throwing up on the floor, yeah, screaming, w- crying. The demon scary. comes and he rips your fucking roof off, roof off, all the things. That's what I want. I want, like, the most traumatic, terrifying, Dude, I saw a video, horrific. and I don't know, like, how... Oh, wait, did you see the Bigfoot video? Yes. It looks like a costume. It does. It literally looks like a costume. Like, I was like, I don't, I'm not with it. No, I, I thought it was a joke. I did too. <laughs> but like now all of these news people are like reposting it. No, guys. And did you, okay, so this is a video I'm talking about though. I saw this video on TikTok. It was this woman and they had indoor security cameras because she was experiencing a lot of like fucking shit. Mm-hmm. So she's napping and you can see that like the time, like they fast forward it. So the time is, I don't know, a couple hours. She took a nap on the couch. On the couch, there's a cross up above the couch, Shut right? Up. So she gets up and I don't know, there's no sound. So I don't know what she's hearing, but she gets up, she's kind of looking around and she jumps up and all of the lights in the house are like going off and on, off and on, off and on. And you can see her like on the phone with somebody, like she's calling someone. And then the fucking cross, she's watching the wall and the cross goes like this, dude. Just slowly Upside down. I DM'd it to you on, on TikTok. And she's sprinting out the door. Yeah. While the lights are like, like this is like a, the house is shaking and the cross flips. Fuck no, I'm getting the fuck out. 
I would never enter that house. No, again. I would burn it down. Honest to God, I would burn it down. I would call the police on myself. Hi, I just committed arson. Yeah. I'm not filing an insurance claim because I did it. Yeah, I don't give a <laughs> fuck. I want it gone. Someone sell it right now. No one needs to live in it. It needs to be done. Tell, tell the fire department to come. They can do a controlled burn. Yep. Do it as training. I no promises what they'll see in there. Yeah. But a demon's going to fly out. Because it's getting burnt. Yeah, because I'm not, not going back in. Yeah, that was Everything crazy. in it, too, is gone. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, really, though? If there's anything sentimental. Let's add a little, like, haunting section to the insurance claims, please. Yeah. Why not? To an insurance policy, let's have this house is haunted, cannot re Would that be considered an act of God? Probably. Everything's Probably. an act of God. Yeah, because they're just like, if medical injury happens, da, 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 and then an act of God, and you're like, okay. Okay. <laughs> What's God, that about? Am I that special to God? Yeah, I mean, like, like whoa. Shit. Like, okay, God's, tell me what this like falls under. God's putting this. acts on me? Yeah. So cute. And most of the time, they're like, if a tree just randomly falls one day on your whole family. That was God. And you're like, that was God? <laughs> really? I don't think he would ride with that. Crazy. You know, he did that to me. It just doesn't even sound like him, you know? Yeah. Man? Pick me vibes. Yeah, it does. It does. If you experience an act of God, then <laughs> you're pick me in his eyes. Yeah. And he picked you. He did. He he said, I'll pick it. <laughs> I'll take that one. Oh shit. Oh my God. I we you got you know this, but we did a puzzle. Yeah. We got a two. I'm so impressed. Wait, tell them about my shirt. Tell them about my shirt. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, Taylor's walking around and you, she's always got band tees and stuff like that. Yeah. So I didn't really pay attention to her shirt. She stands up and it was tucked. Yeah, it was tucked. She stands up and I'm like, where the fuck did you get that shirt? Daddy. It's Daddy Pascal, babes. It is Daddy Pascal. I got it from Etsy. I had to get it. It came across my For You page and I was like, oh, yeah. You're like, okay. I'll take it right now. Is it in the TikTok shop? Yeah, it was in the TikTok shop, but did I did buy, buy it off of the TikTok, TikTok shop. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm no. scared. I'm scared. I'm kind of scared about it, but you know, I have used it once. Oh, really? I did for that neck thing. Actually, I used it twice because I just got this girl's serum that she made for her acne. By the way, used it one night. I had like cystic the night, two nights before. Yeah. Two nights ago. Put it on. They're all like completely yeah, gone down. They don't hurt at all. Good. I mean, it doesn't look good, but it but it looks better than it did to, two yeah, days ago. Yeah, we. I mean, go. and it works really. I've been using it every morning, every night. This girl's thing. I don't so know what it's TikTok, called. I've not have never even clicked on the link because I got scared. Yeah. So like, you just click on it, and it opens what like an LTK store or something. No, it's just like in the if app. You just put your card on the. Yeah, it's like you put it to your TikTok account, and you can just buy it through. It's like Amazon. It's like put in card or buy now. I just said fuck it one day, and I put on like one of my credit cards mm -hmm. that doesn't really do much. And if someone ever racked up a fucking credit card like that, I'd be like, well, guess what? Fraud. Doesn't even look like me. I wouldn't be buying that. Yeah. Right? And then they're like, ma'am, you you buy anything that you see on Ma'am, we have you on video <laughs> and audio recording of you saying that you do buy anything you see. <laughs> anything that you see that you might need, you, you immediately buy. But I put it on there. I just tried it and it worked. It was really easy and it like gave me shipping notifications on there. It was on TikTok. Yeah, it'll be like, hey, your thing got delivered today. And I got the notification, went downstairs. But this one I bought on through Damn. Etsy because I wanted to make sure it was the same girl. I wanted to I make sure it was it. hers for sure. I want one that says Ollie Mounts. And yeah. if you haven't seen our merch yet, go look. It's really fucking cute. So. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Link in bio, link in description. And you're probably like, why is Taylor not wearing it? Morgan's worn it for everything like you're supposed to. And it's because I keep getting stuff in the mail that I want to wear. Yeah, that's daddy. Last week, I got my jacket. That is merch. What are you talking about? Yeah, this is merch. Store. <laughs> this is from our store, Bedroom Pascal. It's my baby. Okay, guys, I guess oh, we'll shit. get to the cases now. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. creepy. 
So I got an email the other day from Rocket Money and it told me that my Apple Music subscription has increased. (gasps) And so when I looked into it, I'm no longer, and I don't know how I've pulled this off for two years, somehow I've maintained a student Apple Music account. And I finally, the day has come that I lost my student Apple Music account. And I had, I don't remember ever getting the notification on my Apple Music unless it was like early in the morning and I just clicked off of it because I thought it was an ad or something. But I am in distraught and I never would have known without Rocket Money. No, yeah. Thank God for Rocket Money. We would never know. Because now I'm like, oh, do I need to go to Spotify? Yeah. (laughs) No, really. Like, what are you going to do now? I don't know. You've got big decisions to make. It is. You've got a big decision to make. If you want to stay in the know about what you're being charged, Rocket Money is the place to B. Rocket Money is the personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel those subscriptions that you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all the work for you, meaning that if you want to switch from Apple to Spotify, Rocket Money will cancel that for you. Rocket Money, just let them know. You know, they're going to be on it. Most people think that they're spending $80 on their subscriptions when in reality, the number is closer to 200 When you've signed up for so many things, like they just start piling up. You got streaming services for one show, your free trial ends. You just kind of forget and they end up piling up. So with Rocket Money, it's so much easier to track what you're paying for. Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you. I don't think they can argue that I'm a student anymore, but they can negotiate some of your bills by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They also let you monitor all your expenses in one place. They recommend custom budgets based on your past spending and they'll even send you notifications when you've reached your spending limits. So stop wasting money on things that you do not use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. That's rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. Rocketmoney.com slash creeps and crimes. Thanks Rocket Money for saving my bank. (laughs) Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Kreppel full-time YouTuber, part-time preschool teacher, and now the host of the podcast Circle Time. Join me every week as me and my guests mix the childlike wonder and conversational openness and acceptance of preschool that we're all nostalgic for with the realism, honesty, and wisdom baked into adulthood. With classroom-structured roots, we'll rehash standout moments of day-to-day life, dive into buzzy pop culture moments, and really just get to know each other on a deeper level. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Kreppel and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Time. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but I've got something to tell you. Oh, what is it? Factor. That's it. Oh, that's period. all I got to say. That's all you got to say. That's what I had for breakfast this morning was a factor smoothie. Oh, my God. I just I know you guys are like, Taylor, we get it. You love the smoothies, but it's the, just a cherry on top because Factor makes everything so beautiful. And with the busy fall season just already in full swing, you're probably looking for wholesome, convenient meals for your jam-packed days. And Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals that are delivered straight to your door. You're going to save time, you're going to eat well, and you're going to stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Relish the best of autumn with fall flavor 
flavors with their limited time only hearty comforting meals featuring seasonal veggies like cranberry pecan chicken Mm. and apple Dijon pork chops. They're ready in just two minutes. They'll satisfy your fall cravings during the busy season without the hassle. And I'm drooling already. I am so obsessed with like fall flavored foods. The second that they released this new menu, girl, I was on it. I I had to jump up on it. And you can level up with gourmet plus options that are prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. You can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. With Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. So this October, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. And if you want all of this iconicness in your mouth and home and refridge, then you need to head to factormeals.com slash creepsandcrimes50 and use our code creepsandcrimes50 to get 50% off. That's code creepsandcrimes50 at factormeals.com slash creepsandcrimes50 to get 50% off. Don't miss this. You're going to love it. Just run. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Hey, today I'm kind of hitting a little true crime side. Okay. I love that for me, but I don't love this story. It's horrific, it's tragic, and it is terrible. Oh, great. So. (laughs) Welcome to the club. This is the case of 15-year-old male Christy Bamu, who was tortured and killed by his older sister in an attempt to exercise him. Oh. Okay. So Pierre and Jacqueline Bamu gave birth to their daughter, Magali, in 1983, and Zare, previously the Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay. Pierre, Jacqueline, and Magali, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing these names. I'm sure they have a little bit of a twerk to them that Flair I'm missing. To them. Yeah. Um, they ended up moving to Paris with their daughter for Pierre, her dad, to open and start his own business. This was a carpentry business where he designed and manufactured furniture. Okay. The Bamus then had five more children, two more girls, and three boys, one of which was their son, Christy. Pierre and Jacqueline had to make the move back to Congo to continue their business, but when they packed up and went home, their 13-year-old daughter, Magali, was not with them. For reasons that we aren't sure of, she was left to live with her mother's niece, so her cousin, Phoebe, and Phoebe's husband, Ferdinand. Okay. So they took their other five children and they left Magalie, their oldest, in Dagenham, East London. And to say the least, Magalie was treated horribly by them. She was doing all of their bidding, all of their chores, and was truly just treated like their slave, like their bitch. Jesus. When she got older, she met a man named Eric Bikubi, I think it is. The two had met through a mutual friend and they immediately had hit it off. Eric at the time was a football coach and the two of them just had an incredible relationship. But as time went on, this relationship turned into a very abusive, controlling, unhealthy and toxic relationship. Eric had shut Magalie out of her own life, not allowing her to see any of her friends and she wasn't allowed to wear makeup. He was just super controlling all around. And it didn't start off that way. It wasn't like that at first. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this is a perfect place to talk about the fact that October is Is domestic domestic violence awareness. And so thankfully you brought that up. I I cannot believe I've. That we have forgotten. Yeah. This entire time. This entire time. We have a code. Yeah, we do. Violet donuts. Violet donuts. And if you. Email. Email. DM. Anything with 
something that you want us to do. If you want us to call 911, we'll call 911. Yeah. I just need your full name and your birthday. Yeah. Violet Donuts, name, date of birth. Yep. Name, date of birth and whatever you need. We'll do whatever we can. Yeah. Much like the Bamu family, Eric and his uncle had fled Congo in 1990 to escape the war, and they had settled down in London. Eric was born in 1983 in Congo, and during his birth, his mother tragically died, leaving Eric to be raised by his father. Damn. Eric's father was really into something called kindoki, which is a type of witchcraft. The term kindoki originally meant putting a curse on others or the use of a spirit for selfish means. But over the years, it had underwent this change in meaning and it now refers to a spirit that resides in a person and has to be moved. So it's just another form of saying you're possessed. Okay. Belief in witchcraft, specifically in Kindoki, is traditional in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Usually when families are subject to death or illness, unemployment, anything that's unlucky, often it's, quote, witch children that they blame. Usually their own children. Kindoki is what is believed to be responsible for child possessions. If a child is suspected of Kindoki, usually one of two things happen. Number one, the child is forced on the streets and abandoned by their parents because the parents are scared of them. Oh my God. Or number two, they are exercised in rituals. The exorcisms usually included beatings, continuous prayer, salvation submissions, water deprivation, starvation, and submersion in water. Those performing these ritual exorcisms believe that they are not harming their child because during the possession, the evil spirit has already taken over that child, meaning they cannot feel the pain from the beatings that they are given, which obviously is not the fucking case. Yeah, that's not the case. But that's why they these parents had no issue punishing and watching their children be tortured the way that they were during these. I exorcisms. guess if you're taught that, like from a young age, because clearly this is something that's been around for a Ever, very yeah. long time. And people that do practice it, like I could see where they think nothing about it. But like that is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Really fucked. Oftentimes, it's very ordinary things that could accuse a child of having a kendoki possession. Common children things like wetting the bed, biting your nails, stealing a pencil. And these very common things come with an extremely dangerous consequence. So when Eric had to flee Congo with his uncle, and at this point in time, we're unsure where his father is. I'm not sure if he passed or if he was unable to flee. Mm -hmm. Again, this story took place in the UK. So... Mm -hmm. A lot of the detail, it was kind of hard to find a good chunk of details on each person growing up. And even I'll mention this again later on, but even all five of the kids, only two of the kids are named besides Magali. The rest Uh of their identities have not been made public. Wow. The other children. Yeah. So it's like this case was kind of hard to find, which is actually why I probably stopped doing my notes on it. Yeah. It's like every single, you know, article that you found about it was just very short to the point. Yeah. So we don't know what happened to Eric's father if he was unable to flee because they were in the middle of a war and he had to just send him with his uncle or if he had passed and Eric was living with his uncle at the time. Regardless, Eric and his uncle, they go to London. And when they got to London, his uncle continued to talk more with Eric about Kondoki, which was something that his father had taught him since he was a young boy growing up. Right. And his uncle began teaching him how and when to suspect or what to suspect in a child and how to exercise that child if they are subject to kendoki. And this was something that they were constantly discussing until his uncle passed away. While in his relationship with Magali, Eric would often talk about his childhood, in which he would mention these visions that he would have as a kid, like he would see rats that were never actually there. And this was really just the tip of the iceberg for what would 
become an extreme obsession with Eric. While with Magali, he became more and more obsessed with sorcery and witchcraft by the day. And then he started to have these dreams that his brother was trying to kill him. Eric had convinced himself that he was being followed by evil spirits. So to outrun them, he began moving from apartment to apartment all around London. But this wasn't working for him. So he reached out and he began consulting a Nigerian pastor for help. And this is really when the Kandoki obsessions start, even though this was something in his life, his entire childhood. It just kind of escalates at this point. It escalates at this point. At the beginning of 2010, Eric had got down on one knee and he asked Magali to marry him, which she agreed, making this all already unhealthy boyfriend-girlfriend relationship escalate into an extremely unhealthy engagement for the two 28-year-olds. But Magalie kept the bad all to herself, and she never told her family what was going on behind those closed doors, and especially never mentioned his mental state at that time. Yeah. So when all five of Magalie's younger siblings were making the trip from Paris to London to visit their big sister and meet the man that she was about to marry, they were fucking ecstatic. Yeah. And even better, they were coming to stay with her for Christmas. Oh, God. There's nothing better than having all of your siblings under the same roof for Christmas. And this was something that hardly ever happened with the Bamu family. Yeah. I mean, they've lived in different places. Yeah. For since she was, what, 13? Since she was 13 years old. So according to Kelly, who was their 20-year-old sister, the oldest underneath of Magalie, things really started off great. That was until their 15-year-old brother, Christy, had to use the restroom. For some reason, he was unable to get into the bathroom. And we're unsure if someone was in there at the time or if the door was locked. That he just couldn't get into the fucking He couldn't door. get into the bathroom. But it was an emergency and Christy was really left with no other choice than to wet himself. Hmm. Obviously, he was embarrassed. This was his older sister and her fiance's home and he doesn't get to see them often so he probably wasn't comfortable enough to let them know what had happened. And, yeah. You know, so he... And how old was he? Like 15? He's 15. Yeah, like you, I would just go outside, hose myself off, come and back and never tell like anyone it about never it. happened. So... It's kind of what he did. He changed his clothes and he had hid his pants in the kitchen. And I think that the siblings were all staying in the living room. Like okay. I don't think it was a big enough house that they all had their own bedroom yeah. or anything like that. So he didn't really have a good hiding spot and yeah. everyone was in the living room. So he went and he put his wet pants in the kitchen and Eric had found them. And he took this as a sign that Christy had brought Kendoki into his home, leaving him no choice but to exercise 15 year old Christy. Oh, you had no fucking no choice. choice. But it wasn't just Christy. Eric went after the other four siblings as well. So huge trigger warning for the rest of this segment. I'm going to be talking about the abuse and the torture that these five kids went through at the hands of their own sister and their future brother-in-law. Wow. On Christmas. On Christmas. Kelly, their 20-year-old sister, came forward to speak on what happened those next couple days. So a lot of this is her firsthand account. Mm -hmm. When Eric had started accusing the kids of Kendoki, they all had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah, I wouldn't know either. After Kelly was born, the family had actually left Congo and moved back to Paris. So the parents weren't really discussing Kendoki with the kids. And all four other siblings weren't even raised in Congo, let alone born there, to be familiar with the term. Right. So after the accusing, they're just like, we don't know what the fuck is Kendoki. We don't know what you're talking about. Like he just had to go to the bathroom. He had an accident. Like, what are you? What are you talking about? What's going on? So after all the accusing, it just started out with prayer and fasting, as in starving the kids. And when that wasn't enough for Eric, the beating started. When he first started hitting Christy, Magalie just sat there watching, not doing 
anything. The other siblings were begging him and their sister to stop it, that they didn't do anything. He and they were all innocent. But their older sister, Magli, just looked at them. She didn't argue. She just sat there like it was completely normal. This was day to day. Like she was a fucking spectator at a show. Right. Like she wasn't even phased. The kids were beaten endlessly, attacked with knives. And one of the youngest girl was forced to eat a light bulb. Shut the fuck up, dude. Magalie then eventually started to join in with Eric, yelling at her sisters that they were witches and that her siblings were sent here to kill her and her fiance. But the two younger sisters, Kelly, who's again 20 and the 11 year old who was the one that had to eat the light bulb. Again, she's unnamed, repeatedly told their sister again and again that we're not witches. We're we're not going to kill you. We're just we're here to celebrate Christmas with our older sister. Right. At one point, Eric had wanted the girls to jump out of the window so that he could watch them fly because he knew he could fly. They weren't human. They were possessed. And they just continued to plead with their sister to stop this madness. But all she did was encourage her fiance, Eric, to continue torturing her siblings. Eventually, all of the kids had came to a breaking point and they were kind of like, well, maybe if we admit guilt, this would stop them for for doing what they're doing to us. So they admit to being witches in hopes that this admission of guilt would stop them from torturing. Oh my God. And it actually worked for the four kids, but unfortunately not for 15 year old Christy. I don't know. I guess because he wet him, wet his pants. He was the one. He was the one that even admittance wouldn't do you do him any good in this case. He needed to be exercised in Eric's eyes or worked for the other four kids, but it did not work for 15 year old Christy. And this is when Eric started ordering them to attack their own brother. According to Kelly, quote, Christy Asked for forgiveness, he asked again and again. Magalie did absolutely nothing. She didn't lift a finger and said she was convinced that we did bad things. Christy suffered more than 200 blows from Eric. His teeth were broken with a hammer. He was hit with metal poles. Eric used a pair of pliers to rip and mutilate his ear. He used a knife to make cuts all over his body. The siblings were forced to hold Christy on the ground while his older sister Magalie smashed bathroom tiles on his back and hit his hands with a hammer. This went on for three and a half days, resulting in over 130 separate serious injuries on Christy's body. On the fourth day, which was Christmas Eve, Christy was begging his sister to just let him die. Meanwhile, the other kids were forced to clean up his blood all over the house while Eric and Magalie played music at the loudest possible volume ever, like literal sociopaths. Like blasting music. This actually led to a noise complaint from a neighbor, but the complaint was not followed up on by authorities. Wow. And at this point, Christy is alive. Christmas Eve, no one's coming in. Noise complaint. I get like noise complaints in apartment buildings are like pretty regular. Right. But there's only been one time when, when you and I lived together in an apartment building that we ever fucking called and we were like something's wrong yeah you need to come up here and the police didn't come we literally followed up and then they did come yeah for that and it was because we heard a girl like scream in the hallway yeah no it was right above us remember she was like 
like a scream that it we were all sitting on the couch and it when it came Do you remember that thing that incident in the hallway though? Like I remember oh. like something going down in the hallway. There there was like someone screaming and then running and then yeah. like banging and crazy. The do- every door was being every door on. and that was just like a drunk person. Yeah, it was. We I think we called the office and someone had, else had called Yeah, the but cops. they didn't follow up. You're right. We had to follow up. Yeah, again. We, we're we like, called back again. What happened? Because they were okay? still stomping and running around. Yeah. So they finally came and because we were going to go up there and then we were like, we probably shouldn't go up there. Mm-hmm. What are four girls that are stoned out of their mind going to do? Right. Yeah, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. So then that's what it was. It, when we heard the man's voice, we were like, because um, we knew it was four girls that lived above us. Yeah. And we called. I do remember that. That same night, Pierre and Jacqueline Banu, the kids' parents, got a phone call. It was Eric and Magali on the other end of the line. Magali said to her dad, quote, Dad, you've got to pick up the children because they're witches and you're a witch too. Oh. Before being interrupted by Eric saying, quote, you've got to come and pick up the children. You've got to pick up Christy because he's a witch and he's practicing witchcraft on another child of the family. If you don't, I'm going to kill him. According to Pierre, he said, quote, when he said that, I wanted to say something to him. Then straight after that, I heard Christy's voice. Christy was talking in a very calm voice. He wasn't crying. He just spoke to me in a voice like we're using now. Dad, come and get me. Otherwise, Eric will kill me. And then he was cut off. And when Eric said that, knowing knowing Eric as I do, I said, well, it's not going to come to that because he's a he's a nice person. He's a really nice person. Like, don't do that. Yeah, no. On the phone, he's like, dad, come and get me and your daughter and the soon to be son-in-law. OK, you know what I will say is like we do have to remember this is a 15 year old kid who's like, hey, he's going to kill me. So the parents are probably they're freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And they do freak out. Yeah, they're freaking the fuck out, but they're they don't want. Christy to freak out. Yeah. So they were completely, obviously, thrown off guard and in disbelief. Yeah, and they hell. began panicking, trying to organize some a rental car. Because, mm-hmm. you know, public transport, you don't have a car to just, no, yeah. not everyone has a car out there. Yeah. And they're trying to organize a rental car for a six hour drive from Paris to London on Christmas Eve to get to the, oh, to get to God. the kids. Yeah, no. As soon as they could, they were en route to save their children. But while they were driving there, Eric and Magalie had forced all five kids into the bathtub and they began hosing them down with icy water as a, quote, cleansing ritual. As a result of the three and a half days of torture alongside the kids' sleep deprivation and the 130 injuries that Christy sustained, they were mentally and physically exhausted. And on the 25th of December, 2010, Christy's head had slipped under the water. The couple called the, this is while they were in the bathtub. The couple, Magalie and Eric, called an ambulance and the paramedics arrived at the scene, taking Christy to the hospital to try to resuscitate him, but he was already dead. At 8 p.m. that night, Kelly Bamu called her father and informed him that her brother, his son, Christy, was dead. When paramedics arrived on scene, all four other children were standing in the living room, hysterical, terrified, and soaking wet. Police discovered blood all over the home, on the ceilings, the walls, as well as numerous torture tools that they used, the couple used in their attacks on the five kids. Eric Bakubi or Bikabu, Bik, Bikubai and Magali Bamu were immediately arrested. Eric claimed self-defense, saying that he was defending himself because Christy was a witch. Magali claimed Eric forced her to join in on the attack. Oh, my fuck. According to Medium.com, they both pled guilty to actual bodily harm on the grounds of diminished responsibility caused by brain damage. But this was rejected and the case had to go to jury trial. The jury They, they tried to say that they had brain damage, both yeah. of them? Yeah. You both all of a sudden have brain damage. Yeah. From what? The jury consisted of seven women. <laughs> women. Women. 
seven women and five men. The judge said due to the gruesome evidence of these horrific crimes that those 12 jury members were excused from serving jury duty ever again. Like they would never have to do it again. Fuck. Dude. Eric's defense claimed his brain injury, his cultural upbringing, and schizophrenia. Oh, this this is was the cause new. and the responsibility for his actions. Magalie's defense argued that she was manipulated as she actually did not believe in witchcraft, but she was manipulated by her toxic fiance. That is true. Yeah. That is that is a fact that that can happen, and you're you're so used to it because that's your everyday fucking life that you're just constantly in fight or flight, right? But at the end of the day, there is a level. They're children. They're ch- but that's the thing is they're really not even like children. Oh, no, I mean, there was eleven year old. There's someone younger than yeah, her. Yeah, like the fifteen. Kelly was the oldest. She was Kelly's 20. the oldest, and then you have fifteen year old. Like like the but. For Eric to be as manipulative. Oh, like beyond. a terror. Like a, a terror. Yeah, like a literal like cult leader type crazy yeah, shit. That's what I'm that's, that's what I'm like truly what it comes down Especially to. Especially whenever they mention like the loud music blasting. Yeah, no, that's crazy. That's like Dahmer playing when he's exactly. cutting, you know what I mean? And like I get that Magali, I get that Magali was like in this constant state of like survival. Right. Fear. So like I get that, but Still, though, years now him. we're all in custody and you're still not. Uh, yes, I was manipulated. Right. Yes, I was living like this. But I mean, I I did that. I'm yeah. fucking I'm so I'm I hurt my siblings. I, I literally killed my own fucking blood. Right. So her defense was that she was manipulated. She did not believe in witchcraft. Kelly, however, <laughs> testified against her sister and had no pity for her as yeah. she spoke of the lack of remorse from her sister while her and her siblings begged her to stop as she brutally beat and tortured them. This is a curveball. At the trial, there was a young woman that came to the stand and her name was Naomi Ilonga and her and her boyfriend stayed with the couple two years prior to the murder in 2008, and she was accused of being possessed due to her biting her nails. The three days that she stayed with them, Eric stopped her from eating and sleeping. He and Magalie would sit there and they would pray with her. Her hair that was previously down to like her butt was cut short, like short, short, butchered cut. Shut up. To release the kendoki out of her. Luckily, she had called her mom and I don't think the boyfriend was, I think the boyfriend was there originally, but I don't think he was there the entire time because she had to call her mom to come and get her and she was able to get away from that. But unfortunately, this entire event for Magalie resulted in punishment for allowing Naomi to leave the house and Eric forced Magalie to eat off the floor and beat her up, gave her a black eye to the point it was so bad that she actually went to stay in a woman's refuge for a week or two. So she was down bad with this guy for sure. He was abusive. He was manipulative. This is another full-grown adult that he has also manipulated. And the boyfriend was there originally. Like she said, me and my boyfriend went to stay and then her story cuts off and we don't know where the boyfriend was. Like I'm assuming- Boyfriend had to be gone, I'm assuming he had to be gone. If she had to call her mom for help, the boyfriend should have been able to fucking- And if if the boyfriend was there the whole time, I pray to God he's not her fucking And this was two years prior. So Eric was 26 years old. Our age. This dude is- Terrifying. Yeah. He's terrifying. All of this, what happened to Magalie after Naomi had left, was not known for her family. And three months later, like she kept that from her family. Three months later, they got back together. They moved into that apartment and they got engaged three months after all of that. Wow. 
Eric was eventually sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison and Magaly was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years. The judge told the couple that the case was very sadistic and the belief in witchcraft, however genuine, could not excuse the assault and killing of any other human being. Thank God everyone came to their senses only a few hundred years later. Right, period. In June of 2012, Christie's family released the following public statement forgiving Eric and Magaly. Wow. It says, quote, we will never forget, but to put our lives back into sync, we must forgive. We take no comfort in the verdicts. We have been robbed of a beloved son, a daughter, and a son-in-law. Christy died in unimaginable circumstances at the hands of people who he loved and trusted. People who we all loved and trusted. Christmas, a festival of joy and Jacqueline's birthday. I'm so confused here. Jacqueline's one of the other sisters. No, Jacqueline's mom. Oh. So mom's birthday's on Christmas. So maybe they did go on a getaway and the kids went to stay with their sister. Yeah, because is is Paris only six hours drive from London? I guess. No shot, right? They were coming from London to Paris. I'm going to have to look that up. Look that up while I'm talking. And Jacqueline's birthday will always be scarred by these terrible events. We were always fond of Eric. Oh, and regarded him as one of our sons. We were proud that he would call us mom and dad. As a family, we planned our futures together and Eric and I were to go and open a restaurant in London together as a legacy for our family. So I must have fucked up the total beginning. They did know Eric. They did know him. For sure. But they didn't know the the dirty the, side of Like Magley kept all of Bitch, that. Bitch, it only is a six hour drive from Paris to fucking London. Oh, wow. I Never in a million years. No, I thought that was a, a flight, a boat, <laughs> and a drive. I mean, you do have to go over a, a very long bridge, but Oh, wow. Or a ferry, I guess. I don't know. Okay, well, I do apologize because clearly they they know each other. Like, hardcore. I mean, not truly, because clearly no one knows what was going on right. behind those Magalie closed doors. Right, because and she even admitted to hiding all of that from I mean, her yeah. family and her parents. Most pe- most people that are victims of domestic violence, yeah. they do. So as a family, we plan our futures together, and Eric and I were to open a restaurant in London together as a legacy for our family. To know that Christie's own sister, Magalie, did nothing to save Christie makes the pain that much worse. We are still unaware of the full extent of the brutality. We cannot bring ourselves to hear it. So they don't know what happened. Well, they should look before they forgive. The pain of Christie's death is something which cannot be measured or calculated. Christie was a fine young man, kind and considerate, much loved by his family and friends. We saw that he was becoming a man. We hoped that he would work with me and my carpentry business and one day take over. Christie was also a role model to his siblings. The children are often quiet and alone in their rooms. We try to stay strong for them, and Jacqueline and I are compelled to grieve alone so as not to distress the children. To me, this sounds like parents that were raised on Kanduki. Mm-hmm. And... You lost a son from torture and you you're saying you equally lost a daughter and a son-in-law because they did that to him. Clearly, this is this is their this is their belief. They've experienced, you know, they've been knowing about this. So it's completely different for them. Yeah. Like we said, it would be like if that's your religion and that's what you grew up with and this was a norm, then that would be nothing to you. Yeah. But us looking at it from the ins- I mean, from outside, the outside perspective. in, it looked, I mean, it, it doesn't bad. look like it. it is. It's abuse. It's, yeah. it's murder, no matter what you thought was happening. You know, I don't know as like Kelly or any of the other surviving children that I would be like, want to be included in that. In that apology. In that apology, like, or not even apology, acceptance. I just, uh, I have a hard time grasping it. Well, here's my thing, though. In any religion that I would ever hear, if, if you're killing and abusing people, I don't give a fuck. Right. I'm going to say that I'm 
I don't think that's cool. That's right. Not, I would I'm never be absolutely 100% against I'm that. not going to be a part of that religion. Yeah. And it could, you can have, I believe in people having the ability to believe whatever the fuck they want to believe, do whatever the fuck you want to do, as long as you are not hurting or harming yourself or someone absolutely. else. Like, I truly, I'm, I'm fully behind. I do not give a fuck what anyone does. Do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody. Right. I do want to be respectful because I get that there's stuff about it that I don't understand. And but that you this a is a child. This is probably the extremist version of it. Like, I'm sure the other people that practice this religion are like, fuck this is a story that goes right. out exactly no you're exactly you right. know like i'm sure that's exactly how they and we are. see that in religions all across the world yeah of course i mean you see it in christian i mean we even talk about it even more so in christianity like we were raised christian so we see everything bad that christianity has ever done and mm-hmm. we, we keep this we will continue to discuss it yeah and the reason why we feel so comfortable talking about it at length with christianity is because it was our own and we've experienced on our own right and most other religions we we will just say as is like as for and that yeah, and then in this case, it's fucked up. And in this case, I'm going to say the same thing. It's not fucking cool. Yeah. No matter what. That's not cool. Wow. This is, that's crazy. So are they fucking, what What year is it? It's That was in 2010. 13 years ago. Wow. So Kelly would be 33. The 11-year-old would be 24. Yeah. And so they're probably about to get out of prison if they're not already on parole. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I'm sure Mary Gold, what's her name? Magalie. Magalie. I'm sure Magalie is probably out on parole. I I really do hope that she gets the help she needs because sure. that is brainwashing. Right. I mean, truly. Like, and she did try to seek help when she went to that woman's Yeah, refuge. she did. And they, they failed her. Yeah, they failed her and she went back. And I get that there's only so right. much that you can do when someone's in a... Or he came and got yeah. her. We're not sure of... You know, you can't there. like... There's only so much you can do when someone's an addict, when someone's in a bad relationship, when someone's doing something that you don't agree with or is mm-hmm. not good for them. There's only so much that you can do. You, because people are going to do what and they want to do. And I know she for sure holds probably all the guilt for this. I would hope if she's a healed person, I would believe so 100%. Do I think that Eric would ever actually, like he could say it. Do I mm-hmm. think that he would ever be able to feel that remorse? Absolutely not. Right. I do and not believe And also so. you have to think about how long they were together and how this was his obsession. Yeah. So she understood it completely. She yeah. knew what he was doing, why he had to do it. Yep. You know, so she's she was manipulated to the point of your brother has we've been I've been talking about this forever. Mm-hmm. Your brother has it. And like you got to do. And something. I'm sure it was twisted. We've got to protect like, ourselves and your family. Him. Like yeah. we've got to save him. You're going to be harming your parents. Your parents are going to die or right. We're exactly. going to die. We've got it. Or your siblings. We got to take care of them by just doing this one thing. And and that's how people that are manipulative get people. Yeah. They, they truly like put up these ultimatums that do not exist. They don't fucking exist. Yeah. And they they act like you have no fucking choice but to listen to them because they're right. And it's fucked. And I, I really don't want anyone to think that we're like shaming, victim blaming, because obviously she's also a victim in this. But it's like, a you know, when when I cover like killer couples, like two people that kill together that are in love, like uh, Barbie and Ken. Uh, exactly. Killers, uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Holmes. She was not complacent in the beginning, but after years of getting beat the fuck down by him, she starts going and bringing in her sister's friends for him to brutally attack. Yep. And even like being a part of it, filming him. Yeah. Like, you know, like people get fucking brainwashed by these people. Yeah. 
And I don't know that I like believe like anything that ever would come out of Eric. No, not that I don't know. I I'm telling you right now, I don't believe a single fucking thing that comes out of that dude's mouth. Everything you just told me, I'm going to go ahead and assume is something made up by him. And that's the other thing. If your family was so strongly Kanduki based, then you had to have been exercised yourself because you you admitted as a child, you saw visions Mm -hmm. that weren't there. And that wasn't he his mom died in his, his mom birth died in childbirth yeah with him like he would have been exercised he probably would have had experienced it and if not then his and maybe uncle that's fled trauma to protect from, him if you are being raised as you killed your mother yeah when she when she gave birth you know what i mean in a religion that has this like piece right. to it where like, it's like talking a about recipe kids. for disaster yeah it just sounds like he should have gotten help at a younger age to mm-hmm. learn how to process that. And I do hope, but and like maybe that is the case that his father fled to protect him because he was experiencing all this mm-hmm. stuff and he knew in that culture, in that religion, at his home state, they would have probably killed him. and killed him yeah. or abandoned him. And so maybe his uncle did take him to London to protect him. Mm-hmm. But then why did his uncle continue the teachings of Kenduku telling him what to look for, how to exercise a child? What are the signs? Like that doesn't make sense. You you know what Maybe I mean? Maybe the uncle believed that it's like something that's passed down and so it could happen to his child. His child. And maybe that's why they did it. Maybe. You know, like. So many questions. I have so many questions. I've just, I just don't understand. I don't understand that. Yeah. That poor boy though. No matter what it's for, unless it's by complete fucking accident, act of God, something that is so beyond out of your control. A killer is 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 a killer. Point blank. Period. If if you knew what you were doing and you continued to do it and the result was the death of someone at your fucking hands. Right. You're a murderer. Yeah. And I'm sure they had a large argument also that they as soon as he went as soon as he went unconscious, they called the paramedic. Yeah. So I'm sure that was a large fight during the trial, too. Yeah, they were. It was all religious standpoint. They were trying to exercise him. Their intentions were never to kill him, just to free him of Kanduki. It is really like it sounds like that. It. I mean, mm-hmm. it really, cause I, that was the first thing I thought, like, I cannot believe they immediately turned around and called the police. Yeah, that's like a cult thing. It's like people that do stuff for religious re- reasons mm-hmm. at some point once it gets to that point like okay we got a call and you admit to it like you turn yourself in essentially yeah yeah all right my turn your turn today i'm gonna be by the way guys we're trying out a new method with our mics i'm really laid back right now yeah sit the fuck up we're really comfy i'm like just well because it's nowhere near me i don't even have to think about it being over as soon as i move it's gonna get fucked up yeah so this name this case has two different names to it Number one is the Phantom Killer. Number two is the Moonlight Murders. Oh, wow. This all happened in Texarkana, Texas slash Arkansas. I've never heard that. I've heard it before. I've heard of Tex-Mex. Yeah, no, (laughs) this is a city. It's a city. Yeah, it's a real city. We'll get we'll I'll get there in the story. But just so you're not confused about what the fuck I'm about to talk about, because it kind of threw. I knew about this place, but it threw me. It throws me for a loop every time I hear it. Anyways, I'm going to give you a trigger warning for S.A.R. attacks and very detailed information about these attacks. And also there are younger people involved. So for that as well. 
Friday, February 22nd, 1946, at approximately 11.45 p.m., 25-year-old Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend, 19-year-old Mary Jean Larry or Laurie, arrived at a lover's lane after going to the movie theaters together. So fun. Okay. Been there, done that. (laughs) After going to the movie theaters together, they go to this lover's lane. And this is all taking place in Texarkana, Texas. So similar to Kansas City, Texarkana is a city that sits in both, you guessed it, Texas and Arkansas. Okay. It sits like on the line. And this specific lover's lane that Jimmy and Mary went to was just 300 feet from the last like residential street in Texarkana. So it's like technically they were on the outskirts of town, but literally they were on the thread of the outskirt. You know what I mean? Yes. So they're 300 feet away from residential city homes. And 10 minutes after parking their car and, you know, doing lover's lane shit, Mm. a flashlight comes beaming through the driver's side window where Jimmy was seated. But it was not what you think. Instead of being the police officer that they were expecting to be standing there, it was a man wearing what looked like a pillowcase over his head that he had cut a mouth and two eye holes out of. Excuse me? Yeah. So very casually, almost thinking that this was like a prank that got pulled on the wrong car on a lover's lane, Jimmy was like, this has got to be make it mistaken identity. So it's got to be a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. So he's like, hey, man, you got the wrong car. This is Jimmy and Mary. Yeah. Scary, but, you know, nice try wrong person. But instead of walking off or like apologizing and being like, oh, dude, sorry, I was trying to scare my friends like they expected. This man in the pillowcase instead spoke in a deep, eerie voice saying, I don't want to kill you, fellow. So do as I say. Pointing a gun at the couple. Fellow? Fellow. Immediately, they were like, we're getting robbed. A fucking course we're getting robbed. So both Jimmy and Mary Jean did exactly what the man asked of them because he's got a mask on. He's right, gonna, yeah. you know. No other option. He's just gonna steal from them probably and leave. Yeah. So they opened the driver's side door, both exited out of it. And once outside, the man demanded that Jimmy, quote, took off his goddamn britches, end quote. So Jimmy did as the man asked. But as he stood back upright from taking off his pants, the man hits Jimmy over the head with the pistol two different times. Now, the noise of the pistol hitting Jimmy was so loud and jarring that Mary thought the man shot Jimmy. Oh, my God. But pretty quickly, she realized that Jimmy had not been shot. That was the sound of the force of which he was hit, and it broke his skull. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. So Mary begins to straight up panic. She still thinks this is a robbery. And now like it's just getting bad. It's escalating. She's, you know, he's dead or he's possibly about to die. So she like bends down, grabs his pants, pulls up his wallet and just like opens the wallet. And he's like, look, dude, like we have no money. We He spent all the money taking me out to dinner and the movies tonight. He really has no cash. Like you can look at my purse. It's in the car. Just like trying to explain to him that they had nothing like 
like if you if they want he could take anything that they wanted the pants the shoes whatever but they didn't have any cash and that's I guess what the man was asking for but before she knew it like as she's in this like frantic explanation about what was going on the man hits her over the head with something she's assuming it was the gun and she's knocked to the ground next thing that she can remember is she like comes back to and the man is ordering her to stand the fuck up so she gets up and as she like gets her bearings and is like coming back to consciousness essentially all he says to her is run is this fucking saw she's in heels because she had been at this game yeah she's in a dress and heels and it's like a game to this guy. yeah and so mary just takes off running she just starts running as fast as she can in these pumps and she like goes to the right at first that would have taken her into the ditch and the guy was like not that way run down the road so she turns and she just starts running down this road and as she's running down the road she comes across a car that's parked on the side and she just starts banging on the window but no one was in it so she's like this has got to be his car this dude's car so she had run a bit down this road and she had no idea that this guy was like behind her she he's, doesn't know he's literally playing cat and mouse yeah like, she what doesn't know if he him. was running in the woods or if he was running on the street just quietly like she didn't know but also like you can't hear when you're frantically right yeah sprinting in heels and you think that your boyfriend just got shot and killed in front exactly of you. by the time she gets this car and she's like trying to figure out what the fuck she's gonna do the guy comes up behind her he asked her why she's running and Mary's like, you told me to run. And the man just becomes livid. He starts calling her a liar. And he's like, are you fucking calling me a liar? You're a liar going crazy on her. And then he physically throws her to the ground. And this is where I'm going to give you another trigger warning. At which point he sexually assaults her with the barrel of his gun before standing up and just leaving her. Like just stands up and walks away. She just jumps up, rips her heels off and sprints through the woods, just running as fast as she can barefoot. She runs a half mile before she finally makes it to this house that just, like I said, they were just 300 feet away from right. 300 yards away. From neighborhoods. From neighborhoods. So she runs up to a neighborhood, a, a door. She starts banging on the door frantically. The owners of the house open the door, let her in and call police. So during this, though, like meanwhile, as Mary is experiencing all of this and running for her life, Jimmy who was very, very injured, regained consciousness. I mean, I can't imagine no. the fight that you have to have. Mentally, because dude. he comes to when Mary's gone. Right. And the and guy's he's alone. At this he's point. alone. He's laying on the side of the road. He's like getting his bearings. And it just so happened that a car happened to be driving past him. So he waves down this car and he's like, please help me, please call police. And they actually believe that the reason why the man just all of a sudden got up and ran away and turned his back to Mary was because he saw this car coming down the road. So this was happening. Simon this is happening at the same exact time. OK. And that just kind of shows you how just how far down the road Mary had to have ran. And this right, guy yeah. chased her the entire time to where his car was parked. Because the, the dude didn't see Jimmy get up, didn't see this car coming until after Jimmy had been like, I need help. 30 minutes after one of them called or whenever police got this call, finally police arrived at the scene. It's the Bowie County Sheriff, Bill Presley, and he has three other officers with him and they just start searching for this masked man. Both Jimmy and Mary were rushed to the hospital. Mary only spent one night being treated for her injuries, whereas Jimmy was hospitalized for 12 to 14 days. Thankfully, they both survived and were able to give police a description of their attacker, saying that he looked to be six foot tall with tan skin, but they couldn't recall due to the mask like any other details about him and the fact that they were both hit over the head. 
you know. Right, yeah. And this is a very traumatic And it's experience. at night. Exactly. It's very dark out. And you have a bright light facing you, so you can't ever see anything behind the bright exactly. light. Exactly. Yeah. I found this absolutely mind-blowing in this case because detectives actually believe that Mary was lying, but not Jimmy. They believe that Mary knew who her attacker was and was just like trying to cover for them. Why? What made them suspect that? I don't really know why they thought that. I tried to find something, but other than I don't the, feel that. Other than the fact that like no one took this attack seriously at all, like that that was it. Because this this area, Texarkana, like at this point in time in the 40s, late late 40s, early 50s, it was the highest crime rate. Okay. Yeah, it was a really not good area. So people were getting crimed on. Mugged. Yeah, like shit was happening all the fucking time at this point. It was kind of nothing new, I guess. Honestly, like police, they were not really concerned with solving this case. And the media didn't think it was even worthy of like a write-up when it first happened. They didn't even bring it up again, at least until a month later. On the morning of Sunday, March 24th, 1949, a person was driving uh, on a road that is just south of U.S. Highway 67 West when they saw a parked car on this like lover lane area. And so they're trying to squeeze around this car because it's in a really tight area and it's just kind of parked off to the side. So they look off to the window and they could see a man what looked to be sleeping, not front seat, but like between the front seats of the car. Now, thinking that maybe these people were hanging out at the lover's lane and maybe just kind of passed out afterwards, the driver like honks to wake them up, but also to be like, hey, move your fucking car. Yeah. In the middle of walking the whole road. But neither of the people inside moved or even flinched. So now concerned, the driver gets out and he knocks on the car and he's like looking into it when he realizes that the man was actually on his knees between the front seat of the car, the front seats of the car. And remember, this is a, like a 50s, 40s car. Okay. So you have the like big bench area. seats in the front. Well, not back. even bench. No, it was two two captain seats with like the big gap in between. Because I think it was only a two door. So you like to get in the back, you'd walk through the middle. Okay, so he's sitting on his knees. He's sitting on his knees and he's got his hands resting like between the seats or on the console. And his head is laying on his hands. There was a very obvious gunshot wound to the back of this man's head. So the driver immediately jumps back into their own car, rushes to the nearest phone or house and calls police. Investigators arrived shortly after to find that the person lying in the back seat was also dead. It was a young woman. She was face down and sprawled out across the back seat with a gunshot wound to the back of her head, just like the man's. They were both fully clothed and police were able to identify these two individuals as 29-year-old Richard L. Griffin and his girlfriend of only six weeks, 17-year-old Polly Ann Moore. It's the 40s. They've been dating for six weeks at this point. And the night before their bodies were discovered, the last time they were seen was leaving dinner with Richard's sister at 10 p.m. At the scene, police located a, quote, blood-soaked patch of earth, end quote, just a short distance away from the car where they believe both Richard and Polly were killed, but at the very least, 
Holly. And after analyzing the scene and the victim's bodies, investigators determined that similar to Jimmy and Mary, the couple was confronted probably by someone, if we're going to say it's the same person, a man, forced out of the car. Believing that this was likely a robbery, they complied, did what the person asked them to, moved to the location where they were instructed to get down on their knees on top of this blanket outside of the car and searched by the suspect for valuables, at which point their attacker shot them both in the back of the head execution style. However, they believe that this shot did not kill Richard. He was knocked unconscious. Him and Polly were both placed back into the car where he maybe regained consciousness and was shot two more times in the car. Inside the car or laying just outside of it, they were able to locate a 32 caliber casing that had blanket fibers on it. And, and really, that is all that they could get from the scene because it had rained all night long. So everything that could have possibly have but been there. Yeah. Could have been washed away. Everything was yeah. probably gone and they couldn't find anything. Now, this event made investigators and the media take Jimmy and Mary's case a bit more serious because of the similarities. But I do know that investigators did interview over 50 people about this murder in the attack of Jimmy and Mary, as well as seen through 100 leads that were determined to be false within three days of Richard and Polly's discovery. So maybe it was just the media not picking up the story just yet because police really they were looking at this crime as connected to Jimmy and Mary's but the public and the media had not put together the fact that Jimmy and Mary's case would be related to Richard and Polly's case at 6 30 a.m on Sunday April 14th a man was found lying on his left side off the edge of North Park Road in Texarkana the man had been shot four times in his back right hand back of the neck and face. Immediately, police were called to the scene and began to investigate. They quickly identified the man as Paul Martin, who was only 17 years old. His family was quickly contacted, which is how police learned that he had been with his girlfriend that night and she was nowhere to be found. Oh, shit. Just a few hours prior to his discovery at 6.30 a.m., Paul had picked up his 15-year-old girlfriend, Betty Joe Booker from her band's performance at a nightclub. She was on the saxophone that night and so excited and he had gone to watch her perform and dance the night away. It was like a dance hall. So they ended up leaving the dance slash like her performance after hanging out for a little bit after at around 1.30 a.m. And that was the last time that anyone saw the couple before their discovery. Police immediately began looking for any sign of where Betty could be or where Paul's car was. When they found blood on the other side of the road beside a fence, a search party was quickly assembled to search for Betty. And after just a few hours of combing through the surrounding woods, they found her at 11.30 a.m. She was almost two miles away from the location Paul's body was discovered. She was fully clothed, lying on her back behind a tree with her right hand in the pocket of her overcoat, which was fully buttoned. Like Paul, Betty Jo had been shot to death, once in her face and once in her chest. It seemed as if the couple had tried to flee their attacker and died in the locations that their bodies were found while fleeing. But that is not for sure. That's just what they thought at first. Shortly after locating Betty's body, the search party located Paul's car. It was parked outside of Spring Lake Park with the keys still in the ignition. This was like another lover, lover's lane area. The car was found 1.5 miles away from Paul's body and three miles away from Betty's. 
that's how far they had ran. Investigators determined that both Paul and Betty had put up a very long and hard struggle with their attacker as they were covered in defensive wounds. From the autopsy, they learned that Betty had also been trigger warning, raped, and then redressed. However, investigators were not able to determine who had been shot or killed first. All they could say for certain was that the couple had been shot with the same weapon used in Richard and Polly's murder, a 32 automatic Colt pistol. And the only good, if there's anything good that could come out of children getting gunned down and murdered and fighting for their lives, like, I don't even like saying that. I don't know why I typed it like that. But the only good thing to come out of this attack was the fact that finally the media. The connection's been made. Yeah. Finally, the media like took this fucking serious and the population, the public took this fucking serious. Like everyone in Texarkana began to pay attention. There's a serial killer. Exactly. In your area. And what I mean by pay attention, I mean that they were frantically panicking. Everyone in this area began buying guns. Like you could not find a fucking gun anywhere. They were off the shelves everywhere. Everyone was sold out. All the ammo's gone. They were making booby traps and homemade security systems for their homes and their cars and stuff. I'm like, this is the 40s. This is the 40s in Texas. Like no one even had, did people even have a fucking lock on their door? Like on their front right, door? I don't know. You know, you have no idea because like that, even if you lived in a high crime area, like you just didn't have shit like that. That stuff was expensive. Yeah. I mean, growing up, we didn't lock our door. No. We had a lock, but it was never it locked. It was never locked. It was I never locked. I walk through that door now, it's locked. locked yeah, locked. all the time. Not when I was younger, I could walk into anyone's house. Yeah. So anyways, like they they're like making these booby traps in their homes, like with these elaborate like locking and security trigger systems and stuff with like ropes and guns and explosives and shit. And I'm like, all right, sounds very Texarkana to me. Yeah. Anyways, like people are making all these at home security systems. And the case was on the front page of every single paper. It was the only thing that people were talking about because people were scared. People were living in absolute fear. They refused to leave their homes after dark. They refused to work past sunset. So businesses were having to close early. Like This is how big it was. They were calling police for any and every single little thing. Noises, people walking around outside, just going on an evening walk. No, they're prowling. When any of the husbands would have to go out of town for work, they were putting their wives and children in local hotels and giving them like enough food and water and shit to keep them inside there the entire time. And the hotel was like getting extra security to protect these women and children. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. It was bad. And the media at this point named this series of killings, the Moonlight Murders and the serial killer itself, the Phantom Killer because of the pillowcase mask situation. But honestly, it was mass hysteria. Yeah. At this point. On the evening of Friday, May 3rd, sometime before 9 p.m., 37-year-old Virgil Starks and his 36-year-old wife, Katie, were just having a slow Friday night inside of their home. They lived in a house that sat on their 500-acre farm just off of Highway 67, 10 miles outside of Texarkana. Virgil was just sitting in his typical evening living room armchair. This, you know, it's Virgil's chair. Mm Mm-hmm. He's sitting there reading the papers, listening to the radio while Katie was like getting ready for bed, going around the house. She was in another room. Out of nowhere, Katie hears this sound of glass shattering coming from the living room. So she rushes in there thinking like Virgil had dropped and shattered one of her drinking glasses. So, you know, my girl's walking in there. I'm already like, which cop? What is it? If it was the wine glass, just don't even tell me about it and order me a replacement. Yeah. So she like rushes in there to go be like, 
What happened? But as she enters the living room, she sees that their double window that was just behind Virgil in his armchair was completely shattered. So she's like looking around and is like, what? happened asking Virgil and he stands up when she walks in the room so he's just kind of standing there she asks like what happens this happens in a matter of seconds but he doesn't respond instead he falls back and slumps into the chair so he was standing he stood up then he sat back down and he slumped over Katie rushes to her husband and he was dead he had been shot she frantically runs to their wall crank phone, which you got to crank it to make it ring, bitch. In full view of this window. She's standing there looking at this window. That's where the phone happened to fucking be. Cranking it. She gets two cranks out to call 911, screaming, frantic, looking around, trying to make sense of what the fuck is happening when two more shots ring out directly through the window that Katie is looking through. And she is shot in the face two times. Oh my God. She gets knocked unconscious and she is severely injured, bleeding very bad. She gains consciousness again, like a few seconds later, not even thinking, like processing what the fuck's happening. She jumps to her feet and she Mm. begins just searching for Virgil's pistol. So she goes back into the room that she was in prior to coming to the living room. And she's feeling around looking for the, for the pistol, but She cannot see because there is so much blood in her eyes coming out of her eyes from where she was shot. She said that she could only see red. Oh, my God, dude. So as she's sitting there just trying to think of where the fuck this pistol is and how she can get to it, she hears someone moving around in the house and she knew it was not her husband. It was the killer inside of the house with her and she couldn't fucking see. So Katie, wasting no time, sprints through her house, out the front door, barefoot, running, bleeding, frantically screaming, sprinting across her 500-acre farm to her sister's house, her sister's farm with her brother-in-law that was just across the, the road. She sprints to her sister's house. She's banging on the door. They're not home. So she runs to the next door neighbor's house, which, you know, this is out in the country. This is with right. farms. It's, it's not far. It's not a neighbor. It's a fucking street away right. to a cookie cutter house. Yeah. So she sprints to the other neighbor's house. She's banging on the door. The neighbor opens the door, rushes Katie in, sees what's going on, and she's losing all of her adrenaline. She begins to fall to the ground. She's holding on as hard as she can to her neighbor. And with every bit of strength that she had left, she said, Virgil's dead. And she collapsed on the floor, losing her consciousness. The neighbor that held Katie was A.V. Pratter. He grabs his rifle while holding her and fires it off into the air outside of his front door. And this was a signal to all of the other neighbors that something bad had happened. So this other neighbor down the street comes running up and his name was Elmer Taylor. Taylor gets Pratter and Katie into the car and rushes them with their families because they didn't want to leave their families behind. Rushes her to the hospital as she's bleeding with their kids, their wives, everything in the car. Because they didn't want to leave them. They're like, you're fucking crazy. And they're like, what about Virgil? And they're like, we got to get her to the hospital. Like she said, he's dead. We've got to go. She's rushed into the operating room. In there, she regains consciousness for just a bit and just frantically starts explaining everything that happened. She's like, don't put me to sleep yet. Telling them everything just in case she died. Miller County Sheriff W.E. Davis was immediately grabbed by these surgeons and brought into the room. So, you know, that means they're going to have to re-sterilize everything. Oh, yeah. Bring him into the room so that way he can record and like write down everything that she's saying because she was telling them everything that happened. 
And then she is put under. And for surgery, yeah. Yeah, for surgery. And thankfully, she survived. Wow. What a fucking fighter. The whole time that this is going on, that she's talking and that she runs to the house, there was a bullet that was lodged under her tongue that got stuck on the muscle that is underneath your tongue. Wow. Unfortunately, though, Virgil did not survive. Investigators rushed to the Starks' home and farm and began to investigate the entire 500 acres of it. They determined that Virgil, like Katie, had been shot twice. However, he was shot in the back of the head directly behind him through that glass window. There was something different about this attack, though. Because instead of using the 32 that had been used in every other attack, Katie and Virgil had been shot with a 22 caliber round. Luckily, though, it had not been raining that night. Therefore, investigators were able to locate bloody boot prints inside and outside of the home. They followed these prints through the field all the way to the highway, Highway 67, where they lost the boot prints. So I guess the car was parked there. Wow. Now the public was losing. Lo- lo- I mean, yeah. you thought it's it, going it was, to your house. Yeah, you thought it was hysteric at this point. People don't even feel safe in their fucking home. Right. If anyone, wa- it got to the point that if anyone was was walking onto your property, they were shot at me. all. You had one warning shot fired, and if you didn't identify yourself, the next shot was coming at you, and people were getting killed. Like people were getting shot and killed. Yeah, investigators were not all that sure that this case with Katie and Virgil was connected to the other three attacks and murders because they were vastly different. They had different weapons, different, not even a similar MO because like this is not a lover's lane. It's this, a couple. This is targeted at their house. So people right. are, so investigators are like, maybe this is like a copycat doing this and just wanted to kill them. But there was no one that anyone could figure out that would want Virgil and Katie dead. Like they didn't know what was going on. And from the like, the way that this all happened, they're like, this sounds like it could be the same guy, even though the MO was different. Right. Despite this, even though they were so different, investigators still considered this a connected crime, and they still do to this day. The Texas Department of Public Safety, along with the local law enforcement agencies and the FBI, launched a full-blown investigation. They questioned over 200 suspects in connection with these murders and attacks. And Dr. Anthony LaPala, who is a psychologist for the Federal Correctional Institution of Texarkana, believed, right, does a full, like, profile on this killer. We're going to call him Dr. L. Dr. L said that the killer was planning to continue to make unexpected attacks on the outskirts of Texarkana. He also believed that the same person committed all five murders without a doubt and that the killer was somewhere between his mid-30s and 50s with the main motivation for his crimes to be a strong sex drive and sadism. Because even though that didn't seem to be like the point of the attack from the beginning, Mm -hmm. he's only attacking couples and then he would like he was sexually assaulting the women in some way. Do you know what it reminds me of? What? The Zodiac. Yeah, me too. And you know that one theory that it's like everyone always believed that it was two people, possibly a father and son. Yep. What if this was the father? And it makes sense. This was his start. I mean, think about this. When this is 1949, right. Black Dahlia just happened two years earlier. Green Twig murder just happened. Yeah. Not even yet. Actually, it was about like to that's happen. a huge theory. It's father. It was father. Yeah. And son. Or it was a father who then taught his son or the son watched or was involved. And that does think about what the Zodiac Killer sketches. What is that black looking pillowcase? Yeah. Over their head cut out. 
Yeah. Dr. L then stated that the person who would commit such crimes would have to be intelligent, clever and shrewd and often not apprehended. So like never facing the consequences for their actions because they were incredibly intelligent. According to Dr. L's theories, the killer was not afraid of police at all, but they were aware of the increased difficulty of attacking people on vacant roads and in secluded homes. That's why he likely shifted to the farmhouse. Like there was this hysteria. So people are staying inside their homes. So now he's got to go find a secluded home to attack, which that was the escalation. Yeah. He went on to say that the killer was likely just leading a normal life. This is interesting, though. He did not believe that this killer was a veteran. He thinks that this killer did not get to go to war. Oh, which is, I feel like that limits your suspect pool right there. Yeah. You know, this is 1949. And obviously has a vendetta against couples. Exactly. He also said that he does not believe that this person was necessarily a resident of the area, despite his vast knowledge of these back roads, but probably visited it often or had been studying it. He went on to explain that the attacks show evidence of deep and intricate planning and that the killer must work alone because there's never been a second person involved in anything that witnesses have survived. Except his son that was watching. Exactly. And he also believes that this killer would never tell anyone about his crimes. But lastly, that this killer was probably not done with killing, but only done with killing in this area. So he likely shifted to a new location or a distant community or overcame the desire to assault and kill people, which I'm like, that didn't happen. You were just in the 40s and you didn't know yet that that doesn't happen, that people can wait long periods of time in between killing people. Exactly. All in all, over 400 suspects to date have been arrested and interrogated about this case by police, FBI, other agencies, yet it remains unsolved. Wow. And I could take us through like all of the theories and suspects, but like. So when was when was the Zodiac? Zodiac was 60s. Let me say this for sure. I'm just like extremely. Well, okay. there's the thing is there there's the Zodiac killings that were claimed. But then there's the Zodiac killings that they believe happened prior and the Zodiac killings that they believe happened after. The only reason that they claimed that time. What was the timeline claim? So the known one, the confirmed like I killed them was 1968 and 1969. What were the sketches? Did they ever believe, did they ever say he was tall? Zodiac? Mm, Let's look up the description. I have it right here. So the Zodiac actually claimed to have murdered 37 victims, but he's only been like confirmed linked to five. They believe that the possibility extent would be 20 to 28 total victims, but the Zodiac killer said 37. Many people say that the Zodiac killer was five foot eight. Okay, so six foot's not too much too far of a stretch, off. especially at night. Again, light is shining in your face. Right. You got hit in the back of the head. You know what I mean? Like right. That's- and I wonder how Jimmy, how tall Jimmy was. Because yeah, he would know. He would be able to say, like, was I looking up or was I looking? Right. That that would be the. And Jimmy and Mary agreed that he was around six foot. Yeah. And again, you go back to the father son idea of the Zodiac. Yeah. We don't know how tall his dad was. God, I wish there was like a way that I could really cover. Like when I say like really cover the Zodiac, I mean like investigate it. I don't know. Yeah. I I have a and paint this entire wall with lines and like if I could do that, I would. I would do an entire series on it. I would because it that case, the the Zodiac killer, any unsolved serial killers 
blow my mind. Like, how have they done it so many times that they don't make a mistake? How to the get fuck caught? Do people kill multiple people right in and not get caught? What the fuck? I don't know. That's crazy to think about. I think he's seriously, like, seriously, I think he's connected to this. Somehow, yeah. some way. He I wonder if Edward Wayne Edwards is connected to this. Probably. You know my boy, Edward Wayne Edwards, my boy. He's not my boy. But I was convinced for the longest that he yeah. was the Zodiac killer. I wonder if Marty was alive during this time. Me too, I wonder. Let well, us know. we know that he was born. We know when he was born. I have it written down somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look it up. <laughs> I'll look oh, it up. shit. Well, that was... I mean, disgusting case. Yeah, absolutely. But it was really interesting. It's really interesting. Well, Well, whenever a serial killer can create uh, city hysteria. Yeah. Like mass hysteria. Well, what's even more wild is the fact that this is in 49. And yet people are not already hysteric within the first two. It took three. Right. Well, then again, also, though, like we're blinking again, but the media at the same time, media companies, it's not. TikTok. It's not, it doesn't come out immediately. Like, this is the paper that they take a a week to work to write in. And then that's if you happen to read that paper. Once they talk about it, they're not going to talk about it again. Yeah, it's gone. You're right. All right, guys. Well, we're going to let you go. Don't forget to send in your creepy account right now because we're probably, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day that it comes out past 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're recording it. So you better get it in. I love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Zoom. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.